Welcome to Bored Women, a podcast that explores the world of women and confidence through the lens of board sports. This is about finding time for you and reconnecting with the joy and adventure in your life. I'm the founder, Caroline Keylock, and I'll be speaking to women in their 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond who are pushing the boundaries of what their bodies can achieve. We'll also feature confidence coaches who can help us break down our fears and perimenopause experts to dig into our changing bodies and minds. Five, four, three, two, one, drop. It's just you and the board. My guest today is Esther Sayers, who seems to come up in every conversation I have in the world of women and skating. She began skateboarding during lockdown. It's now central to her work as a lecturer at Goldsmiths, her friendships and her identity. Despite four operations after breaking her fingers, she ploughs on and continues to love the sport. First of all, welcome to the Board Women podcast, Esther. It's lovely to have you here. I can't wait to hear a little more about your journey, but first we have one question that we ask everyone who comes onto the podcast. And that question is, when did you last fall and how did it feel? The last time I ended up on the ground um, accidentally was about two weeks ago and that was in the middle of something I barely noticed. I jumped up and said to myself, oh, that was not too bad. You don't need to be frightened of this falling. The last time I had a big slam was um, probably about six weeks ago now and it resulted in a huge unsightly bruise on my left hip uh, which took quite some getting over and getting back from. Um, but as I did it, I was sort of cross with myself because I thought I'm going to be frightened about this um, following following this. Um, but thankfully, my son, who was skateboarding with me at the time, talked me down from that and talked to me about the fact that actually I had done the thing that I was trying to do, dropping in. Um, but it was the fact that I didn't believe in myself that made me fall after I'd finished, after I'd dropped in. Um, then I felt, and so he was really, really helpful in helping me to kind of think about it as a positive fall rather than a negative fall. What a brilliant influence yeah, to have with absolutely, you. Absolutely, absolutely. Very what, lucky to have him as my spiritual guide. <laughs> I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Our kids do yeah. see this very differently because I think they see yeah. falling as part of every day and we yeah. see it as some failure in some way. Yeah, I know. And we, we, and we beat ourselves up over it. Whereas actually, yeah, it, it, it has all sorts of positive qualities to it that are important in learning. So... Yeah, we ought to be more philosophical about falling. I think my last really, really big bruise happened when we were in France on holiday. And um, they have very different ramps there from the ones that I'm used to, where they're metal ramps Mm. that go into the concrete. So the connection Mm. between ramp and concrete is in no way smooth. And I pitched Mm. forward, grazed off all the skin from my shoulder and had a very similar kind Mm. of hip bruise to the one that you've described and I remember being in my bikini on holiday with this egg an absolute egg on my hip but I was actually quite proud of it because I kind of felt like okay I've actually been doing something that's challenged me I'm getting better it's okay I got up and I did it again afterwards and and it felt a little bit like a a war wound but also a bit of a medal of pride at the same time 
Isn't it interesting? They are like battle scars. I, I am permanent. I have a permanently disfigured left hip now <laughs> with a kind of, I don't know how to describe it really, but it, it's not bruised anymore, but it, I fell on it so many times at the beginning that it, it does show that um, as a kind of different surface. And like you, I've just embraced it and gone, well, that's part of the thing that I'm involved in. So you've got to... Um, you've got to hold it and hold it um, with a certain amount of pride. <laughs> exactly. This is the point where we try and encourage everyone to get into skateboarding and perhaps uh, <laughs> we have permanent eggs on our hips. Go on, come try, come try. Um, I'd love to hear about your journey into skateboarding and you know where that first started and, and how it felt as you went on that journey. Could you tell me a bit more? My interest in skateboarding kind of seemed to come out of nowhere, really. We'd been skiing as a family a few times. We used to go to Bulgaria because it was really affordable to, um, fairly affordable to ski in Bulgaria. So we'd been able to go quite a few times. I didn't ski for the first time till I was 39. But in my 40s, when the children were all small, um, we did quite a few family trips. And I really enjoyed the feeling of moving fast, the kind of sliding feeling that you get coming down the mountain and the feeling of doing it all together. And then we were back, we'd had a trip in February and it was March and my son wanted to have a skateboard lesson. So he he got for his birthday from his aunt um, a skateboard lesson along with his cousin. And they really took to it and they were really keen and excited. And so we went off and bought him a skateboard. And on that day, I took him to the park um, with the new skateboard and he rode that. And I watched, sat on a bench with my brother and my sister-in-law and my husband. And our, our littlest daughter also had a skateboard that somebody had given us. And we just watched them skate and it looked like such fun that when we got home that evening I wanted to try it but I wanted to try it in the relative security of our kitchen Uh, and (laughs) so rolled around in the kitchen getting my balance and getting a feel for it and and I liked the feeling so the next day it had rained a bit but at the end of the day we managed to find a little bit of time and we went off to the same skate park again but because it had rained there was barely anybody there so we had it all to ourselves which was rather good for me trying it for the first time and I and I went down a flat bank a, a small flat bank in my local Victoria Park in Hackney and just loved it just felt like oh this is that feeling we get when we're skiing um that we're all together doing we're trying something out physically as a group but also we can get that feeling of fun and sliding And because we don't live near mountains and we don't live near the sea, so other kinds of board sports are not really available living in inner city London, I I realised that it was quite a good, pragmatic way to be able to carry on through the summer months before we got back to next winter and we could go to the mountains again, was to use the concrete skate parks that there are all around us. So it started there. And the rest is kind of history, but it's not stopped. Just for the purposes of people listening, can I just ask how mm. old you are now? I am 53 now. 53. So I was 47 when I started. In fact, it was not quite my 47th birthday. So officially I was 46 for two more weeks. Very similar to me, very similar to me. Um, mm. Talk to me about motherhood and skating. You 
wrote in an interview that I read with you, there is something about the embodied experience of skateboarding where you can't think about what you look like in the world because the second you stop concentrating on the actual sensation in your feet or your body, you'll fall off the damn thing. So it's Mm. a sense of being able to draw back far away from feeling looked at or judged into somebody who is experiencing the world in a kind of exhilaration. Mm. I I really connected with that because I think that, Mm. that feeling of you're just so in the moment and you're not thinking about being in the service of others or your Mm. to-do list for that day or week, which I always find incredibly stressful. Mm. It's just Mm. being there, genuinely having fun and experiencing some flow. Just Mm. talk to me about that Mm. and how that fitted into your journey. Well, I think as mothers, but also as professionals, I'm a professional in my working life, I take responsibility for quite a lot of things And so that responsibility plays quite heavily on you. It's difficult to leave your responsibilities behind um, to do something else. And so for me, the something else needs to be really engaging. My earlier career is as an artist. And in that way, I've made a lot of artworks that relate to ideas about identity and self-portraiture. And so I've thought quite a lot about this idea of women being looked at um, and being the object of the gaze rather than sometimes um, the, the lookers out. And so when I started skateboarding, I really felt that I was kind of bringing with me this history um, in kind of an interest in art history to think about suddenly having something which had all this kind of positive engagement about it that got me away from being the object of the gaze uh, quite simply because I wasn't able to concentrate on the gaze anymore I wasn't able to think about who was looking at me or or what what they were thinking or how they might be judging me because I was entirely caught up within my own activity Um, and so for me skateboarding has been really important like that and I and I wrote an article um that was published earlier this year, that really looks at that in terms of the idea of time and how we use our time and, and how we think about um, the use of our time in, in, in terms of a kind of ethics of the way that we live our lives and, and to give time to something which seems on the surface useless uh, it really kind of makes quite a statement about what a person is prioritising in terms of their focus and their attention. And and so for me, that, that's really, that becomes really interesting in relation to being a mother whose focus is, of course, on their children and their family. But I find it really important to make that not the only focus, because if we do that, we lose something of ourselves and we need to be our whole selves, we need to be fully present in order to do the job of mothering in the best way that we can. I couldn't agree more and I'd love to come back later and talk a bit more Mm. about that balance because it's definitely something I'm feeling Mm. as well at the moment. Mm. So it's interesting when you talked before about the fact of not feeling like anyone's seeing you and I think when people come into these sports for the first time there is an aspect most definitely of what do I look like when I'm doing it? I've got all the gear on. And one of the things I noticed about your videos straight away is that 
for much of the time you don't wear pads and you don't wear a helmet and I always mm. think that I've I have all the gear I'm protecting every part of my body at all times <laughs> and um mm. and I always think that you look very like you're in flow and you're supposed to be there so talk to me just a little bit about you know your point of view on on wearing pads and a helmet and why you don't some of the time mm. Yeah, it depends which videos you look at, actually. And if you looked at me, at the videos from early on, you'd see that I was pretty well always padded up and helmeted up. Um, And I am now sometimes when I'm trying something new. But I do find that I feel restricted and restrained with pads on. It feels too deliberate. When I first started, skating was very much just about skating on the pavement and skating to school with the children and skating to the skate park. My favourite part of skating is actually the journey to the skate park and the journey home, especially the journey home, because you're in the groove, you're in the kind of moments because you've been skating. Skating on the street to get home, I'm, I'm not wearing pads and helmet at that point. So because of that, it, it felt kind of weird to then arrive at the skate park and put pads and helmet on to then do this activity. When I'm wearing pads and helmet, it feels like I'm training for something. I feel like I'm kind of putting on the sporting gear to do this thing. And and skating isn't like that for me. It's part of life. It's something that I enjoy feeling relaxed and kind of casual about. For me, it's not so much about getting tricks or getting things. It's about the feeling in my body of the ride So I am much happier cruising around a bowl, feeling flow and speed. But I don't really feel drawn to be up on the coping doing tricks there. And so I think it's part of that. It's part of the fact that, A, I don't do high stakes skateboarding in the sense of risky tricks. Or if I do, I put pads and helmet on for those things. But what I want to feel is a kind of flow and a pleasure and a joy. And if I'm restrained by protective equipment, I don't get that feeling. I don't get that kind of buzz, that feedback through my body. You do skate quite big stuff. So I've seen you in some big bowls. Um, And for people listening, maybe you could explain kind of what bowl skating is. But can you talk to me just about how you gained the confidence over time and maybe some of your bigger moments where you felt like you really had to talk yourself into things and learn how to do them. And I guess the drop-in is obviously crucial to that journey. Bowl skating originates from people skating empty swimming pools in the 1970s. And now most skate parks have got some kind of bowl, um, which is a very different sort of skateboarding than street skateboarding because it uses transition. You have to... um, actually get into a bowl to be able to skate its curved surfaces and to do that you use a move called dropping in um dropping in exists in snowboarding as much as and in skiing as much as it does in skateboarding but in skateboarding you have to drop in from the coping the the edge of the of the pool so um it's quite a sudden thing where you go from being still on the edge into dropping onto the transition and rolling down. 
And so there's this kind of rite of passage in a way for many skateboarders where you you have to learn to drop in. If you're going to skate in a bowl, then you're going to need to drop in, partly because it's the best way to get into the bowl and partly because you need speed to be able to then ride the transition. So dropping in for me started at House of Vans, Waterloo Station in London, which was a fantastic indoor park that had skateboard lessons in the mornings on Saturday and Sundays. Um, And so I learned there with some fantastic instructors from a company called Learn to Skateboard, who were so supportive in the early stages, because to learn to drop in at the beginning, you need to hold somebody's hands so that you get used to the process of pitching your weight forward past the point of no return and allowing the board to literally drop onto the concrete and to roll down. And it's all about having your weight um, further forward than you actually think ought to be the right thing Um, and allowing yourself to go through the leap of faith which allows you to let go and to let the board drop and to trust that you're going to stay with it and and, and roll away so there's a lot of stages in that and I got a lot of bruises leading to the unsightly um, left hip Um, and having somebody's hands to hold really helped with that process but also you need to have a way of mentally preparing for this thing Um, which for me as an adult learner has been very much about a gradual weaning off the hands that are there so that you go from two hands to one hand to one finger to actually just touching or high-fiving the person that's helping you as you drop in to then gradually them uh, using no hands and the person but for me I need the person to still stay there next to me oh it's uh, ridiculous so it's ridiculous it's, it's isn't incredible it? isn't it I've, yeah, I've had yeah, 10 yeah. year olds stand at the bottom of the ramp mm-hmm. for me mentally mm-hmm. as support yeah. and clearly the 10 yeah. year old is not yeah. going to be able to catch me they're not yeah. going to be able to support me they're not going to be able to do anything physical to save me mm. but it's reassuring mm-hmm. and that moment yes. where someone's totally walked away and you get used to yeah. just coming and dropping in on yeah. your own it's yeah. such a big deal, isn't it? Like you're, yeah. you're so proud of Absolutely. yourself when you get there. Absolutely. And you're so, because to do that, it's just you and the board. And so you have to trust yourself um, to be able to do it on your own. And, and yeah, that's a huge moment, isn't it? Um, yes, I, I, I've, I, I've had a real wobble with drop-ins recently, having having dropped in a lot and, and skated some really big stuff, which I've, really enjoy um i i've had i had an injury i I broke my fingers and that kind of led me to four lots of surgery and then that that's meant i've had to come back four times and in that coming back i really got quite a lot of fear and then the fear led to not being confident in myself which led to some wobbles and that led me to start falling because I wasn't believing in myself and my ability to do it. And so I've had to push myself past this kind of point of fear and back into dropping in. What kind of strategies have helped? My friend Yen um, and I talk quite a lot about fear and um, we're both very familiar (laughs) with the concept and the feeling. And and so Yen was just a wonderful person to help me to clear my head of fear. She she said, 
roll your eyes from left to right, from left to right, from left to right, very quickly, sort of move them for a minute and that clears your head. And actually it did, it cleared my head and it sort of reset my brain. And then I used Jen's hands and I counted down, five, four, three, two, one, drop. I have another friend who always has some music in one ear, so I used a bit of that strategy. I had another piece of advice of making the decision to drop in before you get to the coping. You make the decision when you're standing looking at it and then you're not deciding when you're at the coping you're actually just getting on with it at that point so lots and lots of people's strategies for overcoming fear have been sort of amalgamated into um, me getting back that thing of when somebody's been really frightening you when you can overcome it the elation that comes from that is is huge oh it's phenomenal isn't it I I think Mm. that last piece of advice that you said about making the decision before you're even up there that kind of thinking was a game changer for me where because I'm still scared of doing it now there's never a point where I just go up and do it without thinking but you know when I've warmed up I'll go and do it and I always I'll stand there and I will count to three and I'll go and there will never be a time where I don't go on that three yeah 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 absolutely and and interestingly that last that piece of advice came from my friend John Dolquist who is um, the vice principal of a school in Sweden which focuses on skateboarding at the centre of its curriculum. It's called um, Brigaria Gymnasium School. And can you imagine a school where skateboarding is at the curriculum? They've got so many strategies for all of these things that we're familiar with. But in John's teaching, he backs it up with philosophical thinking. You link fear to philosophers like Kierkegaard who have explored fear in their work and then you bring that back into the skateboarding arena. Fear is a feature for everyone, beginner or high level. We've all got to overcome these these things which are basically our bodies trying to preserve themselves. Um, and, and, and so kind of understanding how that works is, is absolutely essential. Uh, in in um, in the activities that we're doing, you've talked quite a few times about how your son helps you with your mm. skateboarding, both in terms mm. of the physical act of doing it, but also the mental side of how mm. he frames things in a different way than you might be tempted to. How has mm. it changed your relationship with your kids? It's an interesting one, skateboarding, because now that my son's 16 he's been back into skating for over a year now but for a while he he went off it um and at the moment my younger daughter who has been skating she's not so keen at the moment but I think in terms of the relationship with them what's really important is not pushing them you know obviously I love going to skate park with them so I always want to encourage them to come and I always ask them if they want to come but if they don't they sometimes feel bad for saying, oh, sorry, mum. But I'm, I always say, no, no, it's fine. You, you, it's up to you. And the reason I say that is because I don't think my son would have come back to it if I'd pushed him at the point when he wasn't keen. Uh, uh, they have to find their own way. They have to find their own way back to it. And so I think in answer to your question about the relationship with them, doing something voluntarily together... Um, because you're both motivated to do it, means that you connect 
on a point of kind of, um, I don't know, there's a sort of equality about it. I think it's so true and I think um, I go to a club at the weekends where it's very many different ages there and yet you almost don't feel that there's an age difference because everyone's Mm -hmm. aligned around this common interest Mm -hmm. and as you say the roles are often reversed as to who is helping Mm -hmm. who, who is supporting Mm -hmm. who, who's you know better in inverted commas but Mm -hmm. you know who's progressing at different rates it changes Mm -hmm. day to day week to Mm -hmm. week and is entirely Mm -hmm. independent of someone's Mm -hmm. age a lot of the time there's something lovely about that community aspect Mm -hmm. of it yeah yeah completely it can almost change minute to minute you know you can be being given advice valuable advice from a six-year-old one minute and then you might be helping someone else at some other age um within the next few minutes because we all know different amounts of stuff and together as a community we kind of pool our knowledge i feel like that's a really important part of skateboarding absolutely i I think it's also really interesting when perhaps you didn't foresee yourself being part of that community and yet you start to feel part of it so Mm. you know actually feeling welcome to it is something Mm. that's really lovely and um, mm. for me, my learning of skateboarding also coincided with starting to go through perimenopause and mm. um, and everything, all the delights that mm. come with that, where mm. I felt like my body was cheating on me to some degree. Mm. You know, I suddenly mm. went from being somebody who's always been fit, healthy, lively to someone who felt very low mm. energy, low mood, mm. you know, not really feeling mm. very driven by anything. And skateboarding most definitely helped. It, it mm. enabled me to go and feel like my body was starting to cooperate again. It doesn't cooperate mm. every day by any stretch, but, um, mm. but it's starting mm. to cooperate. I, I don't know whether any of that's chimed with you, whether that's a stage that you've been through or starting to mm. go through and, and how mm. you feel skateboarding connects with that yeah absolutely menopause has been very much part of my skateboarding journey my kind of menopausal symptoms were much more about a sort of sense of purposelessness a kind of um a sort of sadness feeling quite lost really and a kind of longing for something but I didn't really know what what it was that I was longing for but there was an emptiness something was missing and 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 I hadn't felt like that before that that's not didn't feel like me really I think one of the tricky things about menopausal symptoms is that they creep up it doesn't just happen overnight so it's very easy to put them down to other things um and so I I did certainly didn't pick up a skateboard thinking ah this will sort out those menopausal symptoms <laughs> it, it, it just happened alongside it but suddenly and this was quite sudden having this focus on this physical thing that I was trying to be able to balance on and to do other things on sort of gave a sense of purpose learning something new makes you feel like you are progressing and so that was a real antidote to this sense in my life that I'd raised the children to a certain point I'd got to a certain point in my career and it was all like oh my goodness is is this it I've I've done all the major life events where we've married bought house we've done up the house we've done our children um I was thinking oh so I just does it just stay like this till retirement and then starting to skateboard was kind of no, you can you can take on new things. You can you can push yourself in, in new directions. So that was really exciting for me. 
I want to finish just with a quote that's one from one of your papers because I really connected with it and I just think it's such a, a lovely way to think. You said, to engage in skateboarding at 50 plus is to overrule social expectations of age and gender and find a balance between risk, skill and the psychological burden of ageing. To not always be for others and to not allow the facts about ageing to limit the experience of ageing. In doing so, I reject the idea of a culturally constructed life course that limits me to a narrative of decline. I just thought that was so powerful. Can, can you just tell me a little bit about your thoughts in writing that? Because I think that's, that's a big statement and I absolutely mm. love it. Mm. Well, it, I think that narrative, narrative of decline is, is, is really something that's kind of programmed in to the point where we don't even notice that we have an expectation that you get to a certain point and then everything else is downhill from there. Um, and skateboarding's taught me that that does not need to be the case. And I think I started this interview talking about the pointlessness that I felt at the perimenopausal stage. Um, and, and that pointlessness was about this kind of, is this it? Is this all there is? And so giving time for something which is so rewarding allows for that kind of sense of who am I? Who do I want to become? Who could I be in the future? And just because I'm 53 doesn't mean that I should stop thinking in those kind of self-developmental ways uh, because I'm absolutely a going concern for probably three more decades or more. What am I going to do with that time? How am I going to kind of continue to grow? Now, I don't know how much of that I'll be able to skate, but even if I can't skate anymore, I'll still take that spirit of how can I challenge myself? How can I invest in something that is rewarding for me on my terms? And how can I fit that into a life that's full of all sorts of other things, but fit it in in such a way that everybody benefits. So that was Esther Sayers. And what struck me most was her tenacity in keeping the skateboarding after being hurt and despite stumbles in her confidence. I really enjoyed this conversation. If you did too, please like, review and share with your friends. We have a big vision for Board Women and we want you to be part of it. So check out our upcoming events and how you can get involved at Board Women on Instagram and boardwomen.co. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another inspiring guest. Mm-hmm.